This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Tonight I'm speaking on patience. (laughs) Fascinating story I read this week. A soldier's fighting in World War II and on the battlefield, along with other soldiers, they are attacked. Bullets are being fired everywhere. Uh, injuring one of his friends, a bullet hits his mate in the leg. And so he takes off his shirt and he wraps his friend's leg in the shirt to stop the bleeding. But because his friend is limping, as they trek through the jungle, they are all captured and put into prisoner of war camps. But sadly, the friend uh, didn't make it through the injury and was left behind just in the jungle. The friend was found, as was the shirt of the man, and therefore the injured person was declared dead. So was the man who left his shirt behind, which said his name. So presumed dead, a man is in a prisoner of war camp. Before he left to war, he'd just got engaged to a woman. The woman, presuming he was dead, moved on with her life. (laughs) Perhaps she was a little bit impatient, although who can blame her? And I guess being comforted by the family members goes on to marry his cousin. Two days after marrying his cousin, he comes back from war. Ooh. And the world has changed around him. When he comes back home, the love of his life has moved on and married his cousin. And she's really moved on. She doesn't want to get back with him. This story was not unique. I googled stories of soldiers who came back home to find their life had changed. Story after story after story of people presumed dead come back home to their loved ones having moved on and life gone on without them. And who can blame those loved ones? I mean, if the person's presumed dead, why not? It's sort of the storyline of Castaway as well. Dean, what's this guy's name in the movie? I know it's Tom Hanks, but what's his name in the movie? Ten points for anyone who can tell me this guy's name in the movie Castaway. Paul is Wilson. That one's easy. Sadly, Wilson passed away during the course of that movie or floated out of the distance. Let's just call him Tom Hanks because obviously that's the whole we matter. Tom Hanks is a, like a delivery driver and is put on a plane to deliver a package and the plane crashes. He's the only survivor. He's living on this island for like a, a long amount of time until he decides one day he's going to build a raft and then a, a, a cargo ship picks him up and he goes back home all these years later, like it's five years later or something, and Tom Hanks arrives home to find out that his wife has moved on and married someone else. And he gets back and the ending of Castaway is this like revelation that within that five years he's been missing, the whole world moved on. Sure, they grieved for a little bit, but after five years they moved on to other things and he had to grapple with this idea, how am I going to live knowing that everyone moved on while I was gone? 
The movie ends with an amazing scene of him just like at a crossroads, like a literal crossroads out in the country. And he just stares off into the distance down one of the roads and smiles knowing that he gets to forge a new path, path of his own. The world moved on when he was presumed gone. Uh, tonight I want to discuss an interesting topic, the topic of the second coming. It's something that Christians believe. Uh, in the traditional church I grew up in, we used to say, this is basically what it meant to be a Christian. You had to believe these things about Jesus. You had to believe that Christ died, Christ rose again, Christ will come again. And so we believe that Jesus will come again. He will come back to earth as a, as a human. Jesus will come back to earth. He will come again. Christians believe that. Perhaps you haven't heard that. But I want to unpack that a little bit today. It might look like Jesus is gone, missing and never to return. Perhaps it looks like that because in your life, sometimes Jesus feels absent. It might feel like that because we don't get to live like the people of Jesus' day when they watched him performing his miracles. I mean, we just have to trust by faith. Uh, we don't get to see him, the ins and outs of him every day. So for some of us, it might actually feel like Jesus is gone, missing and never to return. But Jesus will be back. So my encouragement is to be patient. It says this in James, the book we're studying. Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So we're just going to discuss this idea of the second coming. Jesus be like, I'll be back. Some of you are too young to know this movie. It's The Terminator, one of the best movies ever created. If you disagree, actually I won't encourage you to watch it because perhaps your parents don't want you to. <laughs> To discuss the second coming, uh, it's a big topic. We call this eschatology in, um, in like Bible college. A word, I don't know why we come up with these fancy words, but we do. In Bible college, we call this eschatology. And that is theology and thinking around the end times. And there's lots of theology and thinking around the end times. And lots of different people have a different view. In fact, if you're in the room and you've studied this stuff before, you may have a different view to me. I may have a different view to Pastor Johnny. Uh, Pastor Johnny might have a different view to Pastor Travis. Uh, all our worship team might have different views. Eschatology is such a big, broad subject and lots of different views, lots of different theologians saying lots of different things. So I'm going to give just the very basics that I am going to... Uh, I'm going to propose to you that most theologians absolutely believe. I want to give you the basics, the idea that Jesus died, Jesus rose again, rose again, and Jesus is coming back. That's the stuff we need to believe. So I'm going to talk about the who, the where, the why, the when. I'm just going to go over it really basically, and we're going to see if we can try learn something tonight. We few, we happy few who gathered on Father's Day, uh, thank you for coming. The church was very full this morning. It was an amazing sermon by Pastor Travis. I almost said to him, Pastor Travis, just preach that one again because uh, it was so good. So I encourage you all to watch this morning's service on YouTube. The second coming. Who? Who is coming? The Christmas story. Jesus comes for the first time as a baby in a manger, humble, riding on a donkey. 
He comes uh, almost as a, as a nobody. Nobody can tell who he is. And the Jews get confused because the Jews have been reading their Bible. And the Jews have been like studying. And the Jews know that Jesus is coming as a conquering king. And when he comes humble and riding on a donkey, they're confused. But they need to keep waiting. Because as Christians, that we believe that Jesus is the second coming, coming back as a conquering king. Revelation 19, 16, it says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus comes back again, I believe that he is going to come back in full glory. So much so that you will not be able to miss it. Parts of the Bible say that people will mourn having the revelation that they missed him the first time he came. Jesus is going to come back as a conquering king. The book of Revelation is a difficult book to discern. Uh, when I was in Bible, uh, there's lots of different thoughts. Some people take Revelation very literally, like the numbers very literally. Like they throw numbers around all the time, like a thousand years. Oh, there's going to be a thousand year reign. And some theologians will say, well, when Jesus comes back, he's going to be on earth for a thousand years and reign for a thousand years. And those theologians are allowed to believe that. And some people consider Revelation to be uh, a bit more apocryphal writing, like this sort of writing that's almost like a dream style writing. And it's almost like metaphorical. And uh, I had a Bible college teacher who spent a lot of time in Russia working with uh, Russian Christians. And there was a season in Russia where the communism came in and burnt down all the churches and said, you cannot be a Christian. It was like a ban on religion. This is an atheist country. And this Bible college teacher told me that when the Russians who were having their churches burnt down read Revelation there was no way that they could have any other understanding that the book of Revelation was happening right now. That sort of make a little bit of sense. I think the passages in Revelation, whether we live to the end times or not, are very relevant in our everyday lives. But they do point to these certain truths. And if you read it as a whole, it is very clear that Jesus is coming back. This is such a foundational teaching one in 25 verses in the New Testament talk about Jesus' return. This is throughout our Bible, and it's something we should be thinking about all the time. When? When is Jesus coming back? The simple answer is soon. Although he did also say that 2,000 years ago. <laughs> so soon is sort of subjective. The word soon actually translated properly probably means immediate like in an immediate way uh, almost like in a rush so when it happens it will happen in a rush and it'll happen quickly it'll happen soon not necessarily that he's going to come back next week uh, but that was like when I was a kid and I was stuck at church on a day like Father's Day or Mother's Day or any Sunday and I'd go up to my mum and I'd say she's talking to all her friends and I'd say when are we leaving and she would say soon I knew that didn't mean soon Mm. <laughs> Mark 13, 32 to 33 says this, uh, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. 
Second, uh, second coming theology is very hard to put together. You almost have to put it together like a puzzle. It would be wrong to think that you could pick up the Bible and turn to any chapter or book and leave having read that chapter or book with a full understanding of the second coming. In order to get a good theology like this, I'm going to use a term that I'm going to call systematic theology. Now, I know in, in Bible college, systematic theology is used for something else, but go with me for a little while here. I think of systematic theology like this. Uh, I want my thinking about God and my thinking about the Bible to align all the way through the book. So when I'm thinking about certain theological subjects, I'm trying to think, okay, how does it align with the book of Genesis and the first five books of the Bible? And then how does it align with what all the prophets said? And then how does it align with the historical books and the wisdom books? And then how does it align with the four Gospels? And then how does it align with the writings of Paul? And then how does it align with the book of Revelation? And so I'm not getting my theology from any one book. I'm not just opening the book of James and reading, be patient, God's on his way and think I have a full understanding of the second coming. No, I have to read the whole book in a systematic way to get a better understanding of what the second coming means. Because if we take any one book, we will get our understanding of it wrong. And I think the church has done that a lot over history, probably because there was no Google but I implore you, if I tickle your interest on some of this second coming stuff, go home and Google it. Go home and read books. Go home and read your Bible. Go home and just, you could just Google verse, Bible verses about the second coming. And it'll give you a long list of Bible verses and read through them. You'll be blown away about these subjects. So I'm going to jump around the Bible. But, uh, and I say that to say that this, all these things that Jesus says sort of come after parables and they're a bit hard to understand. But then you get these moments where Jesus is like almost talking about my second coming and the disciples wouldn't have even really understood it. It's sort of hard to understand, but we get, to, we get the privilege of reading the whole book. Be on guard, keep awake for you. Do not know when the time will come. Or in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, it says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When we go to bed, I've, I've never been broken into by a thief at night. That would terrify me. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever thought about what you would do. Like, I've really planned it out in my head, like if a thief broke in at night, I'm like, well, I've got the advantage of knowing my way around and where the light switches are. Like, I always think about that sort of thing and, like, the doors I would hide behind. Can I fit under my bed? Could I go into my office and hide behind the bookcase? You know what I mean? I've really thought these things through. But the truth is, I'm, uh, if a thief comes, I'm not going to be ready for it. I'm not going to be ready for it. And that's what the author of Thessalonians is trying to say. When he comes back, he's going to come like a thief in the night. You won't be ready for it. Uh, I, like to, I like to think, you know, we have to be patient. If you went to the airport and you got there early and uh, the plane was delayed and you're like, oh, no, the plane's a bit delayed. They said it was leaving soon, but it's been delayed an hour and you got really comfortable on the seats and then you fell asleep and you went into such a deep sleep because you were so comfortable that you missed them calling your name over the loudspeaker. Uh, Louis Jonker, everyone's waiting for you to get on the plane. This is reasonable because I'm late for everything. 
But if I was in such a deep sleep that I missed it, I could miss my plane. There's a bunch of parables that Jesus tells similar to this. Don't fall asleep. Be wide awake. When he comes, he'll come like a thief in the night. So be ready. When? Where? This one is, this one is confusing. So let's just go with it here. Acts 1.11, this is the, the, after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the stories of Jesus. And at the end of the stories of Jesus, or right at the beginning of Acts, Jesus uh, basically says goodbye to his disciples. He's like, see you boys, and then he floats up into the clouds. And he disappears into the sky. And then there's a couple of angels standing there. Because as you can imagine, if you've just seen Jesus hover up into the sky, you would be thinking, this is crazy. So they're all staring at the sky for a very long time. I guess they're thinking, well, he said he'd be back soon, so we may as well just wait here. They're staring. They're staring. And these uh, guys in white robes, angels, say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So does this mean when Jesus comes back, he is going to float down from the sky into a specific point in Jerusalem, probably on Mount Zion, probably on the Temple Mount, probably... probably in a very specific spot. Is that what it means? Perhaps, but there's these other Bible verses that say things like, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye, every eye, presumably the eight billion people on the earth, will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. Uh, so you can fully understand how different Bible college teachers teach this stuff. I had another Bible college teacher that said, oh, I never understood this. I never understood it. I never understood it. How could every eye see him come back if he's going to float down in one specific spot? Everyone couldn't see him. How, that would be impossible. But then he told me, he said, but now there's social media and everyone will see it on social media. I thought, look, it was fair theological assumption if a dude floated down from the heavens someone would probably put it on tiktok <laughs> it's a pretty fair assumption i think they go pretty viral pretty quickly hmm now i don't know if that's theologically accurate at all but what i'm trying to tell you is you could ask a million different bible college teachers and they'll tell you a million different answers but this i'm certain when jesus comes back We'll all know when those skies light up and those trumpets sound. Like, why do they have to use trumpets? I mean, there's newer instruments now. I get they only had trumpets back then, but why not electric guitar with overdrive? Sound that. <laughs> I think it'll be loud. I think that's my point. Matthew 24, 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The implication being they'll mourn because they'll be like, whoa, that is God, we should have believed in him. Or that is God, we shouldn't have put him on a cross. 
the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So the where is in the clouds or in a specific spot in Jerusalem. This I know. We'll all know when he comes back. The biggest question is probably why. Why is Jesus coming back? And I just asked this to Johnny in the foyer before. I said, Johnny, I'm going to give you the answer and then you can tell me if the question's relevant. I said, I think the answer to the question I'm going to ask is because we have to trust God's sovereign sovereignty and that he has everything in control and that he has a plan. Because an intellectual thinker would come to me and say, Lewis, okay, so Jesus has to come back and then he's going to come back in power and when that happens, you know, when that happens, then he'll defeat evil once and for all and there'll be no sickness and And an intellectual thinker might say, why didn't Jesus just do that in the first place? Why didn't he do that the first time he came? That's what the Jews were expecting. That's a pretty intellectual thought. And if I was met with an atheist who came to me with that question, I think I'd be pretty stumped. I'm stumped now and I've spent all week studying this. But this I know. God has a plan in every way. This I also know. If God wants you in heaven, you sitting here in 2023 in this room, if he wants you in heaven and he saw you before the creation of the earth, if he wants you in heaven... I guess he had to wait 2,000 years for you to be born and for you to choose him so that you could be in heaven. God is patient. God will wait. He wants to save as many people as possible. And if that meant waiting until you were born to come back, well, I guess that's why. As a proof for Jesus, we always say that he fulfilled 300, more than 300 Old Testament prophecies, aka the first half of this book is all about Jesus coming and how he's going to come. And we believe in Jesus because he fulfilled like 300 of those prophecies, like the prophet said he'd be born in Bethlehem. Tick. The prophets said that he would do this and he would do that. Tick. The prophet said he would do this and do that. Tick. The prophet said he would do this and do that. Tick. He did fulfill 300 of them, but there's a lot left. And so we as Christians believe that Jesus has to come back and do the second half of all the prophecies. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin. Jesus dealt with sin on the cross. Your sin and your shame, he dealt with it on the cross. He's already dealt with sin. That He's conquered death. He dealt with sin. But... He'll come back to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He'll come back to save those who are patient. Or in a theological sense, we might say that Jesus will come back to usher in the kingdom of God in a real way where he is the king, he is on the throne, he rules. What's our prime minister's name? Anthony Albanese. (laughs) I knew it wasn't ScoMo. Jeez, Australians are not good at politics. I really should read the newspaper more. Anthony Albanese will have to get out the way. The Joe Biden will have to get out the way. 
The African warlords will have to get out the way. When Jesus comes back, he'll be on the throne and he'll usher in a kingdom where he's in control and his justice will rule, where it'll be an upside-down kingdom. The poor and the oppressed will be elevated. The rich, what they have will be taken from. Or, you know, all those Bible verses we read all the time to usher in the kingdom of God. He'll come back to restore the world, to restore creation. He'll come back to usher in a new heaven and a new earth. Johnny did a phenomenal sermon a few weeks back about uh, this term heaven, never really talking about where you go when you die. Uh, Christians believe that when Jesus comes back, he'll usher in a new earth that we'll all live in and it'll be perfect and beautiful. That's what, that's what Christians believe. Am I correct in saying that? Would you like to... Thumbs up from Johnny. Excellent. I'm sure there's different theological views on that too, but don't trust everyone with a theological view. Do your research and read your Bible. He'll come back to restore creation. And he'll defeat evil once and for all. Revelation's a beautiful book. It's like there's this dragon in the sky and that's evil and and there's a devil and an antichrist and you can believe about that what you want. But the point of the end of the story is Jesus defeats them all and throws them into a lake of fire. And he defeats evil. It's a beautiful idea that Jesus is coming back to usher in the kingdom of God, to restore creation and to defeat evil once and for all. You might be thinking... Well, what if I die before Jesus comes back? That's a good question. You might be pondering, when I die, will I see Jesus straight away? When I die, will I immediately be in heaven? That's a good question. These are good things to ponder. You should research them. You should read your Bible. You should go hunt. You should go figure these things out because it's a good question because I've just said that Jesus is going to come back and create a new heavens and a new earth and that could happen in 5,000 years so what happens if you die now this is my thought and take it with a grain of salt I think it's a bit like going into surgery I don't know if you've ever been in surgery but like they put the gas on you you wake up you're in the room it's like an instant feels like an instant and I like to think when we die It's like an instant passes, even if it's a couple of thousand years, and everyone rises at the same time that Jesus comes back. It's going to have to be a whole other sermon, isn't it? That's pretty full-on stuff. That's what I like to think. Do you have Travis or Johnny, do you think differently about that? Almost just as an example to say that often people think differently. (laughs) Yep, experience it as immediate. Johnny, similar thoughts? He's not sure. I'm not too sure either. When I say I believe this, I'm, I'm saying I, I trust God and it'll all pan out in the end. Mm. So different people have these different thoughts. But you should go hunt for it yourself. This is a beautiful book. Mm. So here's my parable. Uh, you and a friend or you and your partner have heard about a really fancy restaurant. And it's a busy restaurant and everyone's talking about it. It's a beautiful restaurant. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone wants a seat. And you and your friend or you and your partner, you've got a seat. You've got a seat and you're lined up and you walked in the restaurant and you sat down and you're buzzing. You're on an emotional high. (laughs) If you're anything like me, emotions go up and down. But on this day, you walked in and, oh, the ambient lighting, beautiful. 
beautiful. Everything's perfect. It's like even just the sound and the chatter of the people. It's like as an introvert, you feel safe because you have your own special table. But the extroverts also feel safe because there's so much happening and noise and they can look at everyone else and see who might be in there that's their friend. And it's like the perfect place. And you've heard so much about the food. You've read the Yelp reviews. Everyone's saying good things. You're excited. Then the waiter comes over to your table and he says, what would you like to order? And you say, I would like to order the, um, the chicken parmigiana with a side of mushroom gravy uh, with the chips and veggies instead of salad, please. And the waiter says, okay, okay. And you're like, this is going to be good. And the waiter walks away from your table and you sit there and at the start you've got all this energy, you've got all this excitement, you're like, this is great. When this chicken, when this chicken parmigiana comes, oh, it's going to be the best day of my life. I've heard so many great things about the mushroom gravy. Apparently this is the fanciest mushroom gravy in the world. This is going to be good. And the minutes pass. And the minutes pass. And the watch keeps ticking. So you glance down at your watch and you think, what's going on? Mm, what's going on? And you just feel a bit of unrest. You know, you start looking at your watch, you start looking at your phone, you're just a bit like, what's going on here? I heard so many good things. What, what's the weight? What's the weight? You know, what's going on? I don't understand. What's the I heard so many good things. You start to get anxious. Did they remember my order? Did the order get to the kitchen? You know, you made the order. It's gone to the kitchen. The waiter said, I'll be back. But it's, you're getting a bit anxious. You don't know what's going on. You start making hand gestures. You start to get a little bit rude and frustrated. You, you start pointing out, waiter, waiter, waiter. It feels like no one hears you. You know, it feels like everyone's ignoring you. You're calling out, waiter, waiter, waiter. No, they just keep walking past. They just keep ignoring you. Waiter, waiter, waiter. Then you start grumbling with whichever one of the pair decided to pick this restaurant. You start saying things like, why did you bring me to this restaurant? Why did you pick this place? You always pick bad restaurants. You start fighting, grumbling, getting angry. You know, it's not, it's not, their, it's not, it's not their fault, you know. It's not their fault it's taking so long. It's not their fault there's a wait. You start grumbling and fighting. Perhaps you get so angry you storm out. You're like, this, this wait's too long, I'm too hungry, and you storm out and you go home. Perhaps you start thinking up schemes like, what if I just walked across the street and got a cheeseburger and then came back? Or perhaps you think you can fulfil your hunger by going to the bar and ordering a few more drinks. Well, if I have a few more beers, that'll at least fill my stomach. Start making silly decisions. Waiting, waiting, waiting. But if you wait long enough, and if you're patient, if you don't storm out, the food will come. And when it comes, it's perfect. 
And despite your hand gestures, despite your calling out for the waiter, despite your anxiety, despite all your grumbling, when you take a bite, everything in you knows, thank goodness I waited. And thank goodness the chef took his time because every bite is perfect. And that is my parable today. It may feel like we've been waiting a long time. You might be starting to get anxious. Maybe you were really excited when you first became a Christian, but it's since gotten hard. God, I thought you would have moved in my life by now. You've been praying the prayers. Like, God, waiter, 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 waiter. I'm, God, I'm waiting. You've been praying the prayers. You've been praying the prayers. And then you've started grumbling. that one pastor that came through and they prayed for me that my life would get better. How dare they pray that because my life's only gotten worse. That sermon I listened to, he said Jesus was coming back soon. It's been three whole weeks since that sermon. You start grumbling with your spouse that brought you along to church in the first place. I thought you said when we went to church, this would help our family and things would get better. What a terrible idea. Perhaps you start grumbling with other people that you serve alongside. <laughs> mm. Jesus mustn't be coming back because you're playing that song in the wrong key. <laughs> mm. It says this in James 5. Seven. Be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. See how a person at a restaurant waits for the food to be delivered. Be patient about it until it is received. And you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against one another. Because, you know... You don't want to judge others and behold, the judge is standing at the door like, don't judge others because he's coming to judge us. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take, take the prophets who spoke about the Lord, who were killed and persecuted for it. Behold, we consider those who were blessed and remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, Job was a guy in the Old Testament who was like a pretty much a rich dude, owned lots of things, and then one day, you know, he lost everything. He lost his businesses, he lost his health, he lost his family, and even though he lost everything, he remained faithful to God, and in the end, God restored everything to him. You've heard about the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James is saying, Jesus is coming back soon. Don't lose hope. Be patient. 
Don't lose hope. Be patient. Jesus is coming back. He is coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming back to restore creation. He's coming back to usher in his kingdom. And he's coming back to defeat evil once and for all. So I encourage you, church, brothers and sisters, PM crew, be patient. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Be patient. Be patient. Don't grumble with one another. He's coming back soon. To the best of your ability, don't judge others and don't fight because he could come back at any moment. Wouldn't it suck to be in the middle of a fight when he comes back? He could come back and be ready. I wonder what it would look like if we truly lived lives like we were ready for his return because sometimes I think we forget and I think that's the fault of Western thinking. I think it's the fault of us not preaching on this very often. I think it's the fault of this idea that it's been 2,000 years so we all sort of just roll our eyes at the concept but the truth is he could come back at any moment. He's just waiting to save as many people as possible first. What would it look like? Uh, What would it look like for our denomination to think in the now. We should be future thinking, but just go with the concept. The Baptists believe, and we, uh, we have a vision, and I believe in this vision. We want a 1,000 healthy churches in a generation. By 2050, we want to plant, like a, we want to make sure there's a 1,000 Baptist churches in New South Wales ACT, which is all well and good unless Jesus comes back tomorrow. Now, I think we should be future planning, but I just wonder what it would look like if we thought about the immediate. In our church, I wonder what it would look like if we thought about the immediate, like Jesus had come back at any moment. And I wonder in your life what it would look like in the immediate if Jesus could come back in any moment, how much more patient you could be, how different you would live your life. And I wonder what it would look like for me to live as if Jesus could come back at any moment. And I think it's a good question because there's things in my heart that I feel called to. And even this week, preparing this message, I sensed God and I feel deep in my heart that he would say to me, Lewis, if there's things you believe, you better stand for them now. Don't wait. If there's people you want to help, you better help them now. Don't wait. If there's people you're bitter at and grumbling against, you better fix that now. Don't wait. And if it's Father's Day and you're busy working on a Sunday, you better call him now. And so I did call my dad today, just in case Jesus came back before I did. How would it change our lives? God, I pray you would help us be patient. I pray you help us understand that you are coming back, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, to defeat evil once and for all. I pray that we would hold that hope close. I hope it would... uh, change our lives God this is a hard teaching and I pray that people would be inspired to go and learn more about your return and what will happen at the end but I pray they would understand most of all that you win Amen
This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.